Okay, so this is Joshua Bell and the Kilt and the Cloth, and we're with my Tuesday morning Bible study, and we've decided to, that for the next several weeks, uh, we're going to have a conversation about uh, the differences between the Gospels at Jesus' death, um, and I think we're going to have to talk about Jesus' resurrection stories at the same time. And so I want to I want to talk about the historical uh, understanding of Jesus's death first before we get into the gospel lessons because um, there th there's a little bit of a not a controversy but a, a discrepancy between the four gospels and even Paul's understanding of what happens at Jesus's death. So let's start from right there. Um, at, in the first century, there was not a lot of conversations about um, martyrdom. Uh, we we have this idea that there were Jesus that there were Jesus followers dying in the in the droves to die like Jesus. Um, what we have found is, is that's not exactly true. Uh, we have found that it, it happens more in the second and latter part of the uh, early part of the fourth century. So uh, latter part of the second century, uh, I'm sorry, third and fourth century, um, you start to see Christians uh, becoming more physically involved and dying in droves for their beliefs. You, you do see um, the, the Colosseum, being built uh, from the ashes of the Temple of Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD. By 92-ish, the Colosseum is completed again from the ashes and the spoils of war from the Temple of Jerusalem being destroyed. And in that phrase, we have documentation that says, and we uh, use these Christians uh, for your enjoyment. Um, like it's, there's like a you know, the, like the wrestling posters that you mm -hmm. see, like WWE or, you know, WWF when Hulk Hogan is standing there, you know, and uh, they have uh, these pictures of this. You have stories like Spartacus and things of that nature who, who literally believed in a Jesus, which was completely different. So historically, this, this guy, this historic Jesus, um, most of them agree on. That he died, they and, and that matters. <laughs> Why would people even write about it? Uh, we have multiple different um, scholars outside of our Jesus followers, um, and um, so that that also write about that also write about um, Jesus's life. They write about his. Uh, his followers and all the beautiful things that they've done. Um, and so there's this historic understanding of a Jesus. His resurrection, however, uh, becomes the controversy. You know, humans don't come back from the dead. That's, that's, a, that's a problem. Um, and, and Jesus followers talk about Jesus bringing people back from the dead, such as Lazarus, right? The only other person that has done this has been uh, Elijah. 
Uh, he goes up to the second room of someone. He lays on top of them. Uh, and there's another one that does it. I just can't remember the name of the prophet also. But Elijah goes up to the second room. His mom, this, this person has died. They've called him into the house. He goes upstairs. He lies down on top of them. Um, and then all of a sudden they come back to life and they run downstairs and they're like, why, why did you come get me? They were, they are alive now because of the presence of God. So up until the time of Christ, there are stories of prophets being able to bring people from the dead. So Jesus then becomes prophetic in his language and his actions. Uh, there are stories all the way through the Hebrew Bible of prophets that heal the sick and they cast out demons. Um, they wrestle with angels. They have conversations with Satan, right? Uh, what's the very first thing in the gospel of, uh, let me make sure I get this right, because I just did this with the high school, uh, the junior high kids. I think it's Mark. Jesus gets, yeah, it's Mark. I mean, he gets up out of the water. God says, this is my son. You are my son, the beloved, who I am well pleased, and immediately goes out into the wilderness and gets tempted by Satan. So uh, so here's prophetic language, and I'm setting this up for you on purpose. So by the time we get to the point where Jesus historically dies, it's a public spectacle, and they're all angry. Uh, but they don't have a voice at all. I mean, you, you can't tell Rome no. Um, you can get mad at the Sanhedrin and, you know, flick your nose at them and do all kinds of things because they're, well, they don't have any power over you either. Although they can arrest you, they can imprison you um, if you are Jewish and you're not doing what you're supposed to do. But in reality, Rome, Rome is in charge. And so uh, the historical issue that we face with Jesus's death is the church, big C, uh, says, well, the Jews killed Jesus, that there's this influence that somehow the Sanhedrin can influence a Roman senator to do anything that they say. And like I've said a million times, that's like asking a flea to move an elephant for the Jews to look at Pontius Pilate and say, you need to kill this guy because he's bad. That's why there's a mock trial. Um, so Pontius does what he's supposed to do to keep the peace. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put him on trial. Did you call yourself king? You said that I did. Though they said you said you were the king of the, you know, well, they said that I said that. Uh, well, you did you do this? Well, no, I didn't do any of those things. And at the end, Pontius does what he's supposed to do. He wipes his hands of it. Like, I, he hasn't broken any Roman law. What am I supposed to do with him? Now, this is the interesting thing about the gospel writers, because they also don't agree on this. Uh, Matthew does. Matthew, Matthew says, well... Sanhedrin kept pushing Pontius Pilate until he acquiesced. Uh, Luke doesn't necessarily do that. He plays Pontius as the good guy. Uh, Mark just kind of summarizes it as quickly as possible as this was bad, um, these things were horrible, and then he dies. 
Um, and, and we get that from Mark chapter 13, this mini apocalypse. And then, and then of course, John makes a whole sermon out of it. I mean, it's this, it's this huge, beautiful story. So Pontius, so the idea that Pontius would listen to the Jewish world um, is supposed to be a literary technique that even his own people would deny him. Just like the people after reading this will. That's that's a literary technique. But Big C, Big C Church, says, well, this is our proof that why the Jews are less than we are. Because they never accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Um, and um, it, it's a it's a, letter, a literary technique that's just interesting. I'm just again I'm pointing this out in a historical perspective. Um, so when you look at the Gospels, when we talk about it, remember there's a few things to think about when we talk about gospel comparisons. Um, they all have an original source because unlike us today. Um, they told stories from the stories that they've been told. So we would call that plagiarism. So if Sally tells me the, the story of, I don't know, growing up in Perry, and then I tell Sally's story about growing up in Perry, um, then it becomes my story, even though it's Sally's. Right? You see how that works? Because I'm telling Sally's story, but I'm not going to say it as eloquently as she is. Um, and and at the end of the day, when they're telling the story of Jesus's death, uh, it's been passed on. Because I, I just want to remind you that the Gospels were written before, just like right before and, and definitely right after the destruction of the temple. Um, and so Jesus, we know, historically, was killed in the 30s um and, and so uh the 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 average lifespan was maybe 55 years if you were lucky you know so to think that luke makes it all the way up to 90 is is, is a is a cool idea that would just make luke like nine or ten years old at the time of jesus's death which could have happened but it just is unlikely but very unlikely and, and they were found in different jiggles graphical places okay when you tell sally's story are you going to give sally any credit for that story oh good question no they yeah. never did okay that was i yeah. guess the english teacher and me wanted to know that yeah, no, no. <laughs> they never did uh, uh so when you when you hear the genesis story the reason there's two of them there is is that uh ted told one and i told one so we're going to put them both in the same book because we like ted's story and we like josh's story so uh, we're going to put them in Genesis because why? Well, one talks about Netfish and one talks about Adam and Adama. And so, Pick and uh, choose. yeah, yeah, because it was just the practice. You know, when I tell a story, is that Wait. before it's written down? Is that what's called oral tradition? Yes. Heard that yes. So this is this is all oral tradition. And then they started figuring out, hey, we probably ought to write some of this down like we did with. Uh, the Tanakh, or what we call the, the Hebrew Bible. And the temple was destroyed in what year? 70. 70. And mm -hmm. Jesus died in 30-ish. 30 30. Okay. 
I mean, I, I would say I've heard between 29 and 33. I have too. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, and nobody really can agree on that. We just know he got killed in that time frame. So then there was 40 years of the stories. Exactly. To get muddled written down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of awesome that we we're having this discussion when we look at the gospel narratives, because the only thing that they disagree on is how he dies and what happens after. Um, remember, when we look at Bible, we want to go to as close to the source as possible. I'm, I'm going to ask directly Ted about donkeys. <laughs> you know, if I, if I want to know about the story of the peaceful donkey ranch or rescue, sorry, peaceful, don <laughs> peaceful valley donkey, donkey rescue, I'm going to go directly to him. Ten years down the road, and 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 he's decided I don't want to do that anymore, which I don't think so. But let's just say ten years down the road, he doesn't want to do that anymore. It's going to be somebody else that's talking about the peaceful valley donkey rescue. The story is the same, but it's going to change. Was there a reason that they waited so long to start writing stuff down? Because they didn't have anybody that knew how to write. <laughs> I was going to. That was my next thing. I was going to say yeah. is that even if if I told if you told me. If I told you a story and I wanted because you speak other languages, I wanted you to translate that for me to other languages. Right. What you write down and what I say may not be the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna know the difference. That's right. That's right. That, and that <laughs> also happened. Yeah. So there's because you know, and, and and I had a I had a student one time that um absolutely could not write anything on paper, but had a high school or college level vocabulary. He was just, you know, so he had to write a paper for me. And I kept him in from recess and said, you dictate to me and I will type it for you. And, and he told me the story and I typed it. It was real hard mm -hmm. not to change <laughs> what he had said, you know, but, but, but he, he wrote a very nice paper, mm -hmm. but he could not put it on paper. He had this block to put it on paper. And, and so <clears throat> I was tempted to change it. Anybody who tells me to write something down I'm going to be tempted to change it and, and correct the grammar or mm -hmm. change the, the wording or, you know, leave out a name if I think it's offensive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be tempted to do that. So if there none of the disciples, possibly Matthew, maybe because he was a tax collector, might have been able to at least do numbering. Sure. If not, if not right, read and write. Uh, but the rest of them could not read and write. And so. And, and the only problem that we know with Matthew is, is that we definitely know it was written after the destruction of the temple and whoever it is that wrote matthew knows and we're going to read meet matthew before we leave today uh whoever writes matthew let's just go to that let's go to matthew's story so matthew uh because i'm spending a lot of time on this with the youth group uh matthew's story starts uh let's see let's go to Matthew chapter 26. That's the best place to start. <clears throat> Matthew knows a Hebrew Bible. He, he is definitely, uh, <laughs> how, how do I say this? I, I've, had, I've had one professor tell me that Matthew, actually the guy that wrote the commentary for this Bible, that, that Matthew was most likely a priest uh, uh, or uh, a Pharisee and and and, uh, and, know, and knew enough um, about the Hebrew Bible to, to connect the dots. 
when we talk about Jesus, we always talk about him as the prophesied one, right? In the past, in the past that he was prophesied to come, and this is what he does. Matthew makes very good connections to Hebrew Bible of prophets, prophetic messages. Luke struggles with a little bit, but he knows a lot. Mark does knows a lot too, but Matthew gets it all. So just to give you an idea, before we begin reading 26, it starts, he, he decides that from Gen, uh, Matthew chapter 23, all the way to Matthew chapter 26, is one gigantic midrash, if, if I'm if I'm looking at it this way, Dr. Carter will say that this is the opportunity to prove Jesus is um, declaring his kingship. So when, when Jesus was prophesied to come, he was going to be the new ruler. He was going to be the emperor of the world. He was going to bring everybody back into, into good graces with God. Right, so from Matthew twenty-three all the way to Matthew twenty-six, he does that, and I'm just going to read some of the subtitles here. So he denounces the religious leaders of the time, who the ones writing this stuff down, who take advantage of what's being written down, and the religious leaders that teach the Pharisees. Um, they, they've been teaching it inappropriately. Then he. Uh, Dr. Carter puts a subtopic there at the very end of chapter 23 that he calls the lament, I think, yeah, the lament over Jerusalem. Uh, look at all of these people that we were, I was sent to save. They cannot be saved. There, there's just something wrong. Then he does the thing that we've been just talking about. He, he says the temple is going to be torn down. Um, we know this is after this because it, it is it's talking about also the destruction of the temple like the actual destruction um then he he talks about what's going to happen after the destruction of the temple and remember what i said at the very beginning of this this discussion in the spoils of war they gathered everyone they could to help also build that um coliseum so, so Jesus is going to uh, to change all of this. One of my favorite historical things is, is in 24 verses 15 through 20, Dr. Carter points out this is the desolating sacrilege. Uh, he, he writes a whole uh, thing about this, but in, in, in his commentary here, he points out that this is a new sign of a new strategy of urgent flight. We had to get out of here. The desolating sacrilege was the altar to Zeus that Antiochus of Epiphanes established in the temple in the 160s BCE. One of the things that took place with the Roman emperors is, is that they would say, you can worship all your gods, but you've got to put a, a monument of our emperor in your temples. Um, or you have to put a monument of our gods in your temples. And uh, Antiphanes actually had them build... <laughs> the Jews of the area, build a sculpture to Zeus. And he said, fantastic, this is beautiful. Put it in the temple. I dare you to take it down. And uh, they kept it. Um, you know, so so then Titus's troops sacrificed the in, in Josephus, the Jewish war, 
tyrants flaunt their power in God's face. And so you see how this is a midrash? The coming of the Son of Man, Dr. Carter talks about. Here's what it's going to look like. Who says the Son of Man? Well, it's those Hebrew Bible prophets <laughs> that we just talked about. Uh, the lesson of the fig tree. All the way through the Hebrew Bible, figs are used as the, the image of uh, Israel. Um, this this is, a, is a thing. Um, and then you need to be watchful. Watch out for being unfaithful. Uh, then he tells a story, of course. He has three he has two parables, and then before we get to the plot to kill Jesus, he gives his story, uh, his, his sermon before the plot to kill Jesus about the judgment of the nations. And the only people that are in charge of the nations are whom? Kings. Kings, and specifically here, Rome. Rome. And so the, the Romans, this is his opportunity to say, yeah, you you guys can kill me, but when I come back, I'm taking over everything. So, let's talk about the plot to kill Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished saying all these things that I just summarized in about six minutes, he said to his disciples, you know that after the two days, after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the place of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. Uh, just a side note to point out, Caiaphas, there was something specific. Uh, nope, different guy. Uh, and they conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the festival, or there may be a riot among the people. I love how Matthew does this. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, um, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Where else do you see this in the Hebrew Bible? Mm -hmm. um, Mary Martha? Is there... Uh, there is the Mary Martha story. But further back. Right. I'm talking about Old Testament. Oh, Old Testament. The anointing of David? Anointing of David. Yeah. David. Yep, good. Maybe even Saul. Did Saul have? Yep, yeah. Saul had to have all been anointed. Kings, all, kings were all kings were anointed. So this is uh, an illusion. Uh, a um, A L L, not I L L. An illusion to uh, the kings that were anointed before him. Um, but when the disciples saw it, they were angry. <laughs> yeah, good job. Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for a very large sum and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? She has performed a good service for me, for you always have the poor with you. But you will not always have me. By pouring this ointment on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance her see how cool that is that that's your clue you remember my little diatribe right at the beginning how we tell stories mm -hmm. matthew knows this he knows the practice of the oral tradition and he's writing this in such a way that says and years later we're going to talk about this lady that anointed him as the king and his own disciples did not recognize him. And that's what I don't understand of anybody that would understand 
how special that was would be his disciples. You would think. It isn't yeah. <clears throat> disciples never get anything. Yeah, Matthew's disciples never understand it. There's a purpose. Are they just that. too close to it? What was the deal? I think it is a commentary of those that practice piety above faith. And I think some of the other gospels specifically point to Judas as the one saying that too. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah. So okay. this one kind of says the disciples could have been some of the disciples. Yes. Yeah, yes. We went and saw it last week and the the uh, uh, the song on the uh, woman you were trying wasn't it brand new sister should have been used for the poor that it's almost word for word the song is almost word for word yes talk about your 70s controversial oh yeah items. it was massive yeah. and right <laughs> next to god's book huh? so yeah um and uh children of Eden. uh the so there's this automatic anointing of him as king so i i want to i just want to pause there for a second as we're discussing this here he has been anointed as king or prophet. Okay, you could put both of them in there. And we're talking about we're what we're spending the next couple weeks on is, is talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Uh how would it how do you react to a, the fact that here he has been anointed as king or a prophet and Rome kills him as if he's a fly on the wall? remember the story is meant to be told for me just real quick if you're sitting there you're you're if you understood you're seeing what's happening that he's being anointed king his disciples didn't see this a woman anointed him you know which mm -hmm. is a little bit different here, but anyway, but then you're back in the real world. Mm -hmm. Rome does as it pleases. There you go. Good. I mean, I mean you're you're mm -hmm. you're over here, you're being exposed, you're starting to see it, and then Rome steps in and says, That's all fine, but we do what we please. And 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 I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, the disciples have been there with them probably too close. I'm almost going to argue they can't see it because they're there with them every day. I love this. But here's somebody on a little bit further removed. It's understanding. They have faith. They're, you know, the disciples see him heal people. You know, that's just what he does. This woman's a little bit further removed, and she's trying to understand everything. The ones that think they know so don't know anything, and the ones a little bit further removed are starting to understand. Isn't it kind of like somebody coming into a, either a new group or a new town or a new church? A new person sees a lot of things different than people that have been there for a long time. <laughs> they're, I don't want to say their judgment's been clouded, but they just they've kind of been blinded to what some of the stuff that's happening. So let's, let's stay in this, like, let's stay in this little idea here. Okay. So they're blinded. 
what is it that uh, and they, and notice that they said that uh, we should use that money to what? Feed the poor. Feed the poor. And what does Jesus say? So why would he say that? It's very insensitive. It is, right? This is not a Jesus statement. But but he's telling them, he said they're, you know, they're just going to be crucified right over their head. Yep. You know, he's not always going to be there right over their head. They're, yeah. I mean, they're trying to do what he has taught them because right before that, 25, he's just all over Torah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, any of you that uh, clothe the poor, feed the hungry, you know, would be doing the same for me. Mm -hmm. So, to me, that just goes back, they're too close. I mean, they're in, they're not acknowledging, they're not accepting. Of course, their world is going to end. Right. Guys, as they know it. I, I really like, like how you said that. So, their world is going to die as they know it when he dies. So, what is he implying then? To me, I think he's telling them. You need to be paying attention. You need to be listening to me because I'm not going to be here to repeat this story. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, write it down, put it in your heart, pass it on. Mm -hmm. But you've got to tell others. And guard your own hearts with what you're thinking and how you're acting. Um, and I think you said, Ted said earlier that, that uh, Judas was attributed this to being the one that, that said that. And that's poss that possibly would lead into 14. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I, I said something to you. You snapped back at me in front of the entire congregation and embarrassed me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to seek retribution here. Mm -hmm. What Judas did. Yeah. I want to I make sure that before we get to him, because that's definitely coming next, He's he's also making the the statement when I'm gone. I'm also he has already told them that I'm going to do what? Come back. I'm going to come back, and when I come back, that there will be no poor. Is my point? Do you see how that works? Uh, when I was doing this as a in a doctoral class on the Gospel of Matthew with Doctor Carter. We spent an entire day talking about this specific place because he's like, so what does that mean? What does it mean that there will be no poor? Because he doesn't say it this way. He just says, during this existence, while I'm here, we're going to suffer. And then at the end, when I come back, no one will suffer. There will be no Rome. There will be no Rome. God's kingdom will be in charge of the entire earth. That, that is probably one of the most profound passages that we just never spend a lot of time on. So when leading up to his death, you would think that the story would be they're not excited about it at all, right? Um, but you could see where his words really take heed here like this is there's always going to be poor but when i come back you will remember this day that i was anointed as king by a who, woman. by a woman 
Yeah, well, that's on purpose too. <laughs> right, like, like uh, she, she's a, a unnamed woman. Probably Mary. Yeah, probably Mary. Probably, it's uh, well, she's named in the other gospels. So, um, well, I, I kind of thought he was trying to tell the disciples they needed to sell. She gave everything she had. She sure. did not keep anything for herself. It was like she's she sold out to Jesus. Mm. Mm. No, the disciples definitely felt that way. Yeah, I don't. I I think I think Jesus was saying that it's always that story, right? You you have to give all of yourself in order to truly understand. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus kind of, that's kind of Jesus's language. Uh, Matthew again, that's where we get that story. You know, you give with your left arm so that your right hand doesn't know what you're giving. It's this. If you give of yourself, you will understand. This lady gave of herself, and evidently you guys just don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then, let's read verse 14. <laughs> then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, that's 100% accurate. Uh, this this is, uh, oh man. Went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver. Um and from that moment, he began to look for an opportunity to be, betray him. Um, that's scary. It's not a last name. It's something I grew up thinking that was his last name. And that's a political position, isn't it? Yeah, that's my understanding. Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a, a position? It's political, a group. political okay. affiliation. Okay. Like think Hamas. Okay. So. I always figured it was like Ben Hur. Yeah. Yeah. John Paul, you know, yes. first middle name. Yeah, I thought it was the last name too, but, but I understand that Iscariot and Zealot and Zealot, Zealot, those are all positions, mm -hmm. political positions, and it uh, affiliates him with a group of militants. Yes. So on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city as to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover at your house uh, with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed to them, and they prepared the Passover meal. And when it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him one after another, surely not I, Lord. He answered, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that one not to have been born. Judas, who betrayed him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. And he replied, you have said so. Again, that's his to me, I always thought it was, when I was younger, I thought it was kind of weird that, okay, at this point in time in, in reading this, the disciples, you know, who's it going to be? And then when Jesus said, it's you, mm -hmm. they didn't do anything. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, you would kind of think that one of them would be. There would be some reaction. Yeah. It kind of doesn't seem like that. Every one of those. They just went ahead and ate. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's have some bread and wine. <laughs> <laughs> step right into it. 
Judas is acknowledged or has betrayed him or is in the process. Jesus says it's him. And then Judas still gets communion? Of course. Yep. Okay. I mean, yep. That that would follow, but I didn't want to read something in there because yep. they just immediately yep. go into it. Well, I think, it, and also in this story, I think it shows us that Jesus loves unconditionally. I mean, we can deny him, we can, you know, do all of our sins, but yet he's still going to love us, just like he loved Judas. Yeah, I've often wondered too, though, at least Jesus knew from the beginning. I mean, everything has to play out, but or Which I believe that he did. Brings, it brings up the question, did Jesus have a choice? It's, it's the the two millennia question, right? Yeah. Did Judas have a choice? You it know? could be somebody. Somebody had to do it. I mean, it, it, and, and again, <laughs> according to prophecy, right? The Hebrew Bible says that someone's going to do that, and it's going to be somebody that's mm -hmm. going to be right there with you. And that's why he says it. He says, in order for it to be so. Matthew does this really brilliantly. Like even in Jesus's baptism, Jesus gets there and and uh and 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 John the Baptist sees him from a distance, right? There's this beautiful story and he says um John the Baptist says, "Oh no, I can't baptize you. Uh for you should be the one baptizing me." And Matt, and Jesus says, "Oh no, in order for it to be so, you must be the one that does the act basically." And then, and then, of course, as Jesus is baptized, and immediately, immediately, and Matthew does this, and immediately as he comes up out of the water, the heavens are opened, but he says it in such a way that says, in order for it to happen, it has to happen this way, you know, and so here's, here's your proof, like this is, this is, Matthew is saying, here's your proof, this is the way it was always supposed to be. We're going to stop there, because it's now 958. Oh, I am totally digging this conversation, but I don't want to get into the Lord's Supper conversation yet, because uh, that would that I want I want to spend time with that. Can I add one little thing? You yeah, two minutes. You have two minutes. So I, I, I made a chart way back when, working on a paper. Never right. thought it would ever come to light, but here I am. Nice. I actually did a contrast of the woman anointing Jesus oh, in the four Gospels. Here's the breakdown. First is when it's recorded as happening. Matthew says two days before Passover. Mark says two days before Passover. Luke just kind of accounts it during Jesus' ministry sometime. And John accounts it six days before Passover. Matthew and Mark account it as happening after his triumphal entry. John records it as happening before the triumphal entry. And as far as the location, Matthew and Mark say Bethany. Luke says Galilee, which may not be that different from Bethany. I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. there for geography. They're far apart. They're far apart. Yeah. John says Bethany. And as far as where it happened specifically, the home of Simon the leper, that's true. That's the same for Matthew and Mark. Luke says the home of Simon the Pharisee. <laughs> and then John just has an undisclosed location. So there really is, there's, there's a lot of different accounts of this happening. And uh, be, I mean, I believe it happened. You know, we don't always know exactly 100% how it happened. But each each one, as they write it, kind of has their own perspective on it, or as they orally mm -hmm. heard it, you know, as they're putting it down. It's, it's, mm -hmm. They're written to different people. 
Yes, I mean, we, we kind of glanced. Everybody knows that we're written for different people. And I've, I've said this before, but this is why I, I truly love scripture because we have it the way it was recorded with real great attention. It's not like some uh, brain trust got together and said, oh, we've got all these different things. We need to, you know, we're going to just edit all this to make the, the official story. Yeah. You know, we, we can all. You, you, I thought you were going to say when you said you wanted to speak that you were upset that they didn't mention the donkeys in this. Well, uh, I am a little upset about that. The donkey is part of again. Called a cult, anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, and I think in, uh, no, that's already that, happened. That's my little chart, though. I just thought that was interesting that we were talking about that, and I worked on that, and nobody ever heard it or saw it until today. <laughs> I guess I guess See, that kind of goes back. And I remember that I found it on my phone in my paper. Does that kind of go back to when we were talking about the? Names to the people, it doesn't matter. It's the story. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's the story. Yeah. And that and that's this story specifically really matters. It's it's the anointing of Jesus as king or prophet. Um that that's extremely important, especially to this all four of these audiences. Uh, Paul Paul again has some issues with some of the language, but that's that's a that's a Paul thing. Uh yeah, I need to stop there because kind of reminds me of the phone or the telephone game yeah. we used to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording. We're starting again next week on Matthew 26, verse 26. 26, 26.